So I'm going to pray for us, but if you want to start turning, we're in Acts 20 again, so we're jumping back into Acts. So Acts 20, but I'm going to pray for us real quick. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your grace to us, Lord, and particularly, Lord, your grace through the person and work of Jesus Christ, Lord, who has, who has made way for us to, to come to know you, Lord, to understand you, Lord, to be right before you, Lord, that we are no longer, we are no longer barred from, from fellowship with you, but Lord, we have fellowship with you through Christ as if we were robed in his righteousness and, and he was guilty of our sin. Lord, we praise you for your wondrous deeds we thank you so much, Lord. We confess we are a people that sin, Lord. Sin still remains in the flesh, and Lord, we still wrestle and struggle. Lord, I pray that you would give us great resolve, Lord, as we come into this new year, but as we continue on in this Christian faith, Lord, that we would resolve, Lord, to, to love you and, and to obey your word. Um, Lord, that we would be people of great resolve in that, that we would seek to be holy as you are holy, Lord, that we would we would delight in Christ by obeying your word. And Lord, that would give you great joy. Lord, I pray for this time. I pray that as we look into the ministry of the Apostle Paul, Lord, we can gain great insight, Lord, as to how we are to, how we are to go about our lives in Christian service, in service to you, O oh God. And I ask that you would just strengthen us, open our ears to hear and our hearts to hear, Lord, your word for us this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All righty, so Acts 20. 17 through 27 we're going to read, but as I started studying for this, I said, okay, what we're going to do, David, in my, in my brain, I said this to myself, we're going to get through 17 to 38. We're going to do it. I don't know how I thought that we would ever accomplish that goal. I got probably about halfway into my study, and or probably a little bit less than that, actually, and realized that we were going to make it maybe through to 21. So 17 through 21 is what we're shooting for, but we're going to read 17 through 27 just to set the tone of what's going on here in this text. So this is the word of the Lord. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with, and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that all of you... All the, that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the men, the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. All right. So let's dive in. We're going to recap what we kind of left off with last week. And so if you remember, it's, you know, it, been a long time since we've been back in, so I need you guys to hop into your DeLoreans and, and remember with me what we were 
last in. I haven't seen you guys uh, since last year. You know, I had to get the dad joke out of the way. It's been a whole year since I've seen you. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. It's great to see you guys. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed your holiday season as I did. Probably one of the highlights was uh, the caroling we did, the Christmas caring ministry day. That was really sweet. Definitely going to be making that a Testis family tradition every year. Uh, it was a sweet time, and I hope that you guys had a sweet holiday season as well. But if you can remember back with me to the beginning of chapter 20, we see that Paul was traveling through Achaia. He was making his way to Troas. He was joined by some of the leaders of uh, those churches that he passed through in that region in Macedonia. So Paul is on tour, and he's preaching at the church of Troas. And if you think my lessons or Rob's or Chris's are long, we, we got a glimpse into really a normal Lord's Day service for the early church and for the Apostle Paul. And if you think ours are long, again, they were meeting all day, and he was really just preaching all day. And so I'm sure there was bathroom breaks, and they had, they, it said they broke bread together. So uh, if that wasn't talking about communion, it was talking about them having uh, meals together. So I'm sure there were, there were breaks. But we were looking at this passage, and Paul is preaching, and we see this poor young guy, Eutychus. He's probably like, like probably around 14, 15 years old, sitting in a windowsill, and he, bang, falls asleep, falls out the window, dies. And Paul and the church rush down the stairs, and, and Paul revives him, really, again, by, with a supernatural working of the Spirit of God within him in a special way. We noted that Paul, again, being an apostle of the early church, was, was granted with certain apostolic gifts, signs and wonders for the establishment of the church of Christ. So don't get any ideas. If you think you can jump off the, the baluster here and you fall and break your leg, Rob and I can't really do much for you. We might hand you a Hello, Hello Kitty mandate, but that's all we got. Uh, Chris can't do anything for you. John MacArthur can't do anything for you. So Again, the, the, the spiritual gifts in that sense have ceased. They were for the establishment of the early church. And the Apostle Paul, again, used them in this case as a sign and a wonder to proclaim the power of God uh, in the gospel. And so he revives Eutychus, and they, they come back up. Um, they fellowship all the way till daybreak. And in the passage we point out, we pointed out some very practical principles that we can learn and we can draw from uh, the Apostle Paul. And so I'm going to walk through those real quick as we recap. We, we, we noted the Apostle Paul's commitment to fellowship in this text. Paul was a man who was devoted to the church of God. He was devoted to the spread of the gospel message, the message that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners from the just, deserved wrath of God. And Paul was a church planter, but he was he was very committed, he was deeply committed to the cultivation of those churches. That is, that he was committed to the spiritual health of those believers and building relationships, relationships with them and establishing elder-qualified, righteous men to lead those churches and to love them well. Paul loved the body for which Christ died. And again, I charge you, I charge you to think critically about your relationship with the body of Christ, to those brothers and sisters in Christ that are sitting next to you right now. In this passage, we see Paul heavily and intentionally investing into brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, we noted that Paul was, he was planning to leave the next day, so he's going, it's the first day of the week, it's Sunday, they're meeting as the church on the Lord's Day, and he knows he has to leave early the next morning, but yes, he, he's intentional that I want to spend this time with these believers, encouraging them, comforting them in the truth of God's word, and that's what he does. And so, 
He's eating, eating with them, talking with them, rejoicing together as he's preaching the word of God. And we see that in Ephesians 4, Paul says this about the church, Ephesians 4, 1 through 7. It says, Therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were also called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Again, we need to learn from Paul, and we need to learn how to love one another. This is a man who loved the church. We are one body together, and we learned that in his commitment to fellowship. Secondly, we learn Paul's commitment to the Word of God. In this passage, again, Paul is not preaching for 45 minutes. He's not preaching for even an hour. Paul is preaching an extended period of time. He, he's really, again, these are people that want to know. They hunger for the meat of the Word. They want to understand God's revelation to them. And again, it didn't seem like an abnormal thing, as we noted in the passage. These people were, they were you know, it's great. Let's go all night. This is, this is a normal thing. They weren't exhausted, except for maybe Eutychus, uh, who was, again, they, people are saying that they, it says in the text that there were many lamps in the room, and people speculate that the, the fumes and the oils were, were mixing and creating kind of a sleeping thing for him to fall asleep, but people were committed to the Word of God, and, and we should be too. This should be a reality check for all of us, myself included, that can I sit and pay attention during a, a Sunday morning lesson? This is not a guilt trip in any way. I'm not trying to call any specific people out. But really, for myself, can I, can I sit without twiddling my thumbs, without checking my, my, my football fantasy team score? Can I, can I sit and do I value the Word of God that much? And again, Chris has talked about it several times where he's laid out the specific hours in the week that we have. And he's saying, okay, at best, you come to hear the Word preached on Sunday morning. You go to a fellowship group Sunday night. You come Wednesday night. That's what? three hours, you know, four hours where the word is taught, and you have all these other hours in the week where you're supposed to, you know, again, fend off the devil and, and fend off the, the, the lustful, the fleshly desires of your heart. Guys, we need, to, we need to be in the word all the time. We need to be looking for sermons throughout our week to encourage us. We need to be thinking critically. We need to be praying critically. We need to be, everything is extremely critical in the Christian life. We are fighting a battle here. And these believers understood that. And Paul understood that as, he, as he's valuing the word, but again, by taking great care to preach for an extended period of time because they wanted to be together and they wanted to fellowship. And that's not to say that we are wrong for not having all day Sunday services, but I'm impressed on you the importance that the Lord's Day is really, is for the people of God. As we have this, it's, it's not the Sabbath. It's not the same as Old Testament Israel keeping the Sabbath by various, various laws and rules and ordinances, but the Lord's Day is special. It is a day that we are to take to commemorate, to sanctify to the Lord in worship to Him, that all of our thoughts should be focused, again, always on Him, but in a special way on the Lord's Day as we fellowship together, and as we take part in this Christian fellowship. Okay, so now as we jump into our passage today, starting in verse 17... We're going to see the call of Paul, firstly, if you're taking notes. The call of Paul. And so it says, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. All right, so 
we can kind of, like I said, it, it's super easy in Acts to kind of glance over and not really dig deep or look into the details of the text. But he, he, he sends for the elders of the church of Ephesus. And so Ephesus, they speculate the road to Ephesus from uh, Miletus was probably 30 to 40 miles. So Paul sending a messenger was literally him just writing a note, scribbling it down, sending it to a really fit young guy. And this dude just running like 35 miles <laughs> to get there. Wouldn't be my job. Wouldn't be my uh, preferred job uh, of the day. Um, so, you know, he has to get there. He has to give it to the elders. They have, no in, they have no idea that Paul wants them to come to him. So they have to pack everything up. They have to come to Paul, who's all the way over there. They're probably not as good as good runners as this messenger. So it's probably they speculate it's probably going to be a three, four day journey for these elders to, from the messenger sent for the elder, from the elder, for the elders to come to Paul. Um, so it, and it's, just, it's just kind of like a, at a glance, it's just a seemingly kind of throwaway thing here. But this was, I think, really a, a cool thing for the Ephesian elders, really showing that their devotion and their respect of the apostle Paul, that they would just drop everything and, and hitchhike 40 miles to go see him off. Um, and so we see Paul is trying to get back to Jerusalem. If he can, he's trying to get back by the day of Pentecost. And he, has, he calls the Ephesian elders to himself. And then we see the call is answered when they come to him. These men were probably busy. They probably had careers. They definitely had careers outside of uh, their local church that they were called to oversee. And they were called, called to guard that flock. So it is not a small thing that they would just pick up and leave. And so we see down through 18, all the way down through 27, we're going to be camping out. We see Paul's defense of his ministry. Paul's defense of his ministry. So in 18, it goes on. It says, and when they had come to him, so again, like three, four days later, he said to them, you yourselves know from the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me from the plots of the Jews. So, we see this in this text. Paul's faced much opposition from the Jews. Paul's express, he's expressing really a clear conscience. At the end of this, he says, I am, I'm free of the blood of all men. I've done everything I can do. I, I, I again, it, within, within reasonable bounds, because again, within Ephesus, within everywhere he's gone, he's faced opposition from Jewish leaders, from the pagans in that area. And so I'm sure in Ephesus, there would have been whispers, rumors about Paul the heretic, Paul's doing this wrong, Paul is, Paul is a bad influence, Paul's a cult leader. And so he's bringing these Ephesian elders together and he's saying, you know, guys, I am, I'm free of the blood of all men. I have, I have a clear conscience when it comes to my ministry and it comes to what I have done. And while, was, while Paul is saying this to the, these men, they would be recalling the faithful example that Paul has set throughout many years of ministry service alongside of them. Paul is not really, he's not tooting his own horn here. He's not, he's not trying to declare how great he is. Paul is simply clearing the air and leveling with these guys because everywhere Paul goes, he faces slander, lies, hostility concerning the gospel message that he preaches. So he's clearing his name, so to speak. And so here in verse 18... I'm sorry, in verse 19, I want us to notice Paul really, it's not an extensive list, but he lists three marks of biblical service to God. Three marks of biblical service to God. And this is where we're going to be camping out for the majority. 
But we can draw these biblical principles that if you want to be a servant of God, whether you're Paul or you're not Paul, you're going to find these things, these three marks of biblical service. You're going to find these as you serve the God, the God of the Bible faithfully. The Christian life is a life of service. And if you're here today and you think you can enjoy just the benefits of the church or the benefits and blessings of the Christian life and you can just cast off the difficulties or maybe the struggles and you've got another thing coming. The Christian life is hard and we must be prepared to face opposition and service to God. So the first thing, the first mark of biblical service to God is humility. It's humility. It says, serving the Lord. I was with you the whole time serving the Lord with all humility, with all humility. If we intend to serve God, we must be humble servants. We must humble ourselves. God is infinitely glorious. He's infinitely fully deserving of all of your devotion. And Isaiah 42, 8 says, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. Like Paul, we must be willing to lay aside all of our pride, all of our selfishness, all of our arrogance in order to serve the one true God. It has been said of men that we are glory thieves, men and women, of course, but it's instead of us that we are glory thieves, that we want the glory for ourselves in all things, whether we are in the flesh or in the spirit, that we seek all, at all times to steal glory from God. Service to God is not a glamorous job in a worldly sense. As Pastor Chris once told me, you're a little man doing a little thing for a great, a great God. And if you say that, you're committed to Christ. If you say that you can walk through life and, and, and you can kind of flirt with the church in that sense and you can kind of come to church and act like a pagan and, and you, you don't really need to serve God or I don't need to live holy, a holy life. If you say that and refuse to humble yourself, you're a useless servant to the Lord. You're useless. And maybe not even a Christian at all. Listen to the words of one of my favorite hymns, Jesus, I my cross have taken, all to leave and follow thee, destitute, despised, forsaken. Thou from hence my all shalt be. Perish every fond ambition, all I've sought and hoped and known, yet how rich is my condition. God and Christ are still my own. Does that sound like the heart of a proud glory thief? We, apart from Christ in the flesh, want to take God's place. We want to be Lord of our lives. We want to listen to no one. We want to submit to no authority. We want to receive the glory and praise and honor he is due. And in all of us, there is a little corner of our lives in which we want to reign supreme, even if you are in Christ. You don't want to relinquish that authority. You don't want to relinquish that glory. Please lay it down at the feet of the cross of Christ. If you're in Christ, you rejoice in the glory of the Lamb. He is your glory. He is your joy. He is our glory, joy, and crown. Surrender the glory to Christ. Serve him humbly. The second mark of biblical service to God is disappointment. Disappointment. He goes on, he says, as I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, with tears, we have a clear mission in mind. We are to make disciples of all nations, to proclaim the gospel message. That is the truth, that we are estranged from God, 
that we're saturated with sin. And the only solution is for us to repent of that sin and submit our life wholly to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in obedience. You may have noticed this Christmas season, there are many pagans, many people who who live ungodly lives, who don't go to church, who don't love Christ, who would say that they are unbelievers. They go around wearing their grandma's ugly sweater, drinking eggnog and hot chocolate and singing songs about a baby in a manger. And they they love it. They, They eat it up. Why? Because the moment you tell them that that baby in the manger came to earth because they are deserving of hell, and that the only way of salvation is this Jesus, this baby, they hate you for it. They close their ears because they hate that Jesus, and they hate his gospel. Do not be deceived, guys. Biblical service to God is marked by tears and disappointment because if we truly understand what it means to be apart from God, we weep for those in our lives which don't know the love of Christ, those people who are estranged from God. It's not rewarding work to serve the Lord in that sense. You may not see great fruit of your ministry, of your service to the Lord, but yet we are called to do this. Biblical service to God is marked by tears as well because it's tiresome and it's unrewarding work at times. Think of Noah. Do you think Noah ever got discouraged? Noah was a preacher of righteousness, we understand from Hebrews. That, that is to say he was, a, he was a preacher, he was a herald. That word preacher means herald, that he was proclaiming judgment. He was proclaiming the truth about the coming of the flood the glory of God, the holiness of God. He was pleading with people to submit. He was building the ark, yes, but he was going out in the city that he lived in, proclaiming the judgment of God, proclaiming the truth, pleading with people to turn in faith and submit their lives to God. You know how many people were persuaded and repented by the ministry of Noah? Not one. Not one. Yet, he was still faithful. He was still faithful to carry on in the service of what God had called him to do. Biblical service to God is disappointing. It's disappointing at times. Thirdly, the third mark of biblical service to God we find in this text is is suffering. It goes on and says, I was with you the whole time serving with the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials, which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. Paul speaks of trials, which were, again, brought by the Jews of his day, mainly. And as the days of Paul, we live in a a crooked and perverse generation. We live amongst haters of God, who delight in wickedness and hate biblical righteousness. If we are faithfully proclaiming the word of God to those around us and are seeking to live in such a way as to reflect the glory and goodness of Christ, we will be opposed. People will dislike you. They will reject you. They will mock you. They will make fun of you. They will even persecute you for your belief in Christ. Jesus said that in, Jesus said in John 15, he says, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before that it hated you. And again, we live with religious freedoms and liberties that no other civilization in the history of the world has ever enjoyed. 
However, the church of Christ is always under persecution at some degree, and we need to be prepared for it. One thing we must always remember when we see suffering and trials is that the Lord God is the one who brings them into our lives. And we should be able to, we should rest in the fact that he will bring them into our lives always for our good, always for our good and always for his glory. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon once said that suffering times are a Christian's harvest times. In these moments, we should grow deeper in Christ and deeper into his church. Whether the trial is losing a loved one, being mocked for your faith, car troubles, career disappointment, etc. We need to keep these trials in perspective so we can respond rightly knowing that these are from God and they are for your good and for your growth. So guys, for, for those of you who are in Christ, it's not a very glamorous position, not a very glamorous proposition I have for you this morning. Will you press on in biblical service to God, in all humility, not receiving any glory, in disappointment, and in suffering? I think if you just try and pay lip service to Jesus and enjoy the best blessings and benefits of the Christian life, well, I've got some disappointing news for you. You don't just plant a seed of faith by donating $10 to stephenfurtick.com. It's not how it works. You don't get health, wealth, and prosperity in return for your seed of faith or your goodwill. The Christian life is full of commitment to difficulty and hardship. If you're a Christian here today, you're an alien. You're a pilgrim traveling through a strange land, seeking that which is much higher, much better. The blessings and benefits of Christ are eternal, not temporal. In Philippians 1, Paul says that to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor. It is laborious, the work that we do. But there is fruit to be had. There is fruit. We look to Christ longing to be with him, but we press on in the task that he left us with. Spurgeon also once said that I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me against the rock of ages. That is to say that when the winds and the turbulent waters of persecution and suffering and the difficulties of a fallen world come against you, that we rejoice in those things because it forces us to lean evermore upon the God of our salvation. Rock of ages, cleft for, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. And we'll note in verse 20, as we keep going, it's, Paul, Paul's ministry, boldness. He's, again, clearing his name. He's clearing the air. He says, I'm not I didn't shrink back from declaring anything that was profitable to the believers in Ephesus, that he was, he was committed. He didn't hold anything back. Paul didn't hold his punches. If you've ever read any epistle that he wrote, never holds his punches. He just doesn't, like, skate over a section because oh, I don't think they're going to receive that really well. If I tell them to stop worshiping idols, man, they're going to get really mad at me and they're not going to listen. Nope. Paul was faithful. He brought the full counsel of God to these people. And then lastly, we see, as we look today, we're going to see Paul's gospel clarity. Paul's gospel clarity, verse 21. 
said, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable for teaching you publicly and from house to house, teaching you publicly from house to house, solemnly testifying to you, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's gospel clarity, the simplicity of the gospel message. A true response to the gospel will only ever require two components, repentance and faith. Repentance and faith, or faith or belief. Repentance can be defined as recognizing and turning away from sin and pursuing righteousness found in God's word. Faith is, is as defined for us in Hebrews 11, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The gospel message is not rocket science. Yet the eyes of the world are blinded purposefully by the Lord. They do not see it. They do not love God. They do not worship. Paul was absolutely committed to the teaching and preaching of the gospel everywhere he went. That if you recognize that you are a sinner, that you are deserving of God's wrath, and you seek the Lord Jesus, you seek him earnestly, asking him to forgive you, of all of your sin, believing that by his blood you can be saved, you will be saved. This is the gospel. But we believe it by faith. And I'd ask today that you would cast yourself upon the rock of ages, for he is the only firm foundation for your souls, the only ref re refuge for sinners like you and like me. If you're still trying to cling to your glory, if you're still trying to cling to your comfort, you still want to be Lord of your life, I say to you, stop relying on your own cleverness. Stop relying on your own wisdom. Stop relying on your own resolve and kneel before the foot of the cross. Accept that you are insufficient, that you cannot save yourself, that you need a savior, that your righteousness is but, there are but rags to the Lord, and you are deserving of the just wrath of God. Turn now to the cross. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Take his yoke upon you, for his burden is light, and you will find rest for your souls the majority of you that are here and you've believed in this gospel, I say to you, keep believing. Keep leaning on that truth. Keep kneeling at the old rugged cross for your strength, for your courage. In 1 Corinthians 1, 18, it says, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We have been saved. We are being saved. And the cross of Christ is our strength. It is the very power of God. A few questions as we wrap up, as we review. Number one, is your life marked by humility? Or are you a glory thief? Do you seek to live life for your own glory? Do you seek to steal the glory of God that he rightly deserves? Number two, do you recognize the disappointment and suffering that comes with obedience to God? Do you view, view those trials as opportunities to grow? 
do you view those trials that, that, that the Lord brings in your life as opportunities to grow? Number three, what is your relationship with the world? Would you, would you say that you live a life that is different from those around you who don't profess Christ? Take a look around. If, if, if your life is, could not be distinguished from the life of an unbeliever, of someone who does not love Christ, who would say they don't love Christ or know Christ, it's, that's a problem. And you need, to talk to, you need to talk to your parents. You need to talk to a leader. Because the Christian life, like I said, we are, we are pilgrims. We don't, we don't belong here. We, this is not our home. We should not look like the world around us. It's like Christian in Pilgrim's Progress. He's traveling through Vanity Fair, and he's trying to get to the celestial city, and they're scoffing at him. Uh, you're, if you haven't read Pilgrim's Progress, please do that. That's number one on your 2024 reading list. Uh, I'm telling you right now, you, you, you've got to do it. But Pilgrim is this, is, he, Christian is this pilgrim walking through this Vanity Fair. It's this worldly circus, basically, and all these people are scoffing at him, rebuking him, and he has his eye fixed on the celestial city, which is represented, as, it represents heaven. It represents life with Christ. It represents the glory that we will have with Christ in the new heavens and the new earth. And he's just going on, not paying attention. We need to walk through the world in this way. And lastly, have you knelt at the foot of the cross? Have you recognized your overwhelming need for a savior? Jesus Christ is Lord that's not a debatable fact. If you don't believe it, okay. <laughs> it, is, it is truth. That every, every, every knee will bow, every, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Everyone. Those who hate him and those who love him. Might you be one that loves Christ? Guys, we might, you might die tomorrow. I hope not. But you might get hit by a bus. And you will meet the God of the Bible. And you will, either, you will either plead on the righteousness of Christ that you have accepted, or you will mutter and stumble in your words. You'll have nothing to say. And you will be fully deserving of hell. Guys, I don't want that for any of you. None of our leaders want that for any of you. If, you, if, you have, if anyone has any questions or would like to talk to you, one of the leaders, please, we would be delighted to talk with you. This is, this is, there's nothing more important than this, guys. I pray that you deeply consider these things. And uh, I'm going to pray for us, and we're going we're to head out of here. Thanks, guys. Lord, thank you for this time. Lord, we are just so overwhelmed by your grace to us, Lord, that you would choose to save anybody. Lord, it is a mystery to us, and Lord, we are so undeserving. Lord, we are so far from you. Lord, your ways are so much higher above our ways. Lord, you are so good and so glorious. And Lord, I pray that you would reveal that to these young people. Lord, that they would see your goodness. They would see your glory. Lord, they'd see the glory of Christ and what he has done, that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, being tempted in all things as we, yet without sin. He was silent as a lamb unto the slaughter. And he bore our sins on that cross, Lord. Might we never forget the cross. Might we never re reject the cross or let it escape our thinking, Lord. Might it affect everything in our lives. Might it affect every thought that we would submit our lives to Christ, that we would come 
in humility to the foot of the cross. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us of our sins, Lord. Those that, Lord, we, we commit against you, really, Lord. I pray that we would seek to live holy lives. Lord, I pray you'd give us a conviction of sin. Lord, I pray you'd, you'd reveal to us what sin is. It is a front to you. It is, it is, it is in one sense, spilling the blood of Christ. Every time we, we, we sin, Christ's blood had to, to cover that sin. Lord, might we, might we not sin? Lord, might we be righteous, holy unto you? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.